first wrote about the case of Henry McCabe when I was writing my book Dead in the Water. It's a very strange case. It's one that revolves around sound. When Henry McCabe disappeared, he left what can only be described as the most chilling, most harrowing voicemail. He is screaming, pleading and growling in raw, animalistic agony. Strangely, in the background is something that sounds indefinably mechanical. We do not know what is happening. Horrifyingly, a voice then interrupts Henry's guttural screams and calmly tells him in a cold, emotionless, detached voice, Stop it. Fifty-five days later, Henry's body is found in a creek. His body has no wounds, no trauma, no injuries. What happened to Henry McCabe on the night he left that howling, harrowing voicemail? Something was so terribly wrong that night, but what was it that took Henry into the gaping, echoing abyss of unyielding terror? And who, or what, took him on that fateful one-way journey? This is what they did to my son. Henry paid for you to learn the lesson, said his mother. But what does she mean? Is there any connection to another mother who says of her son, he was taken to the river and killed? Then his body was positioned and taken to a different part of the water. The evil is rampant and deep and widespread. Why is she saying this? Another young man was found dead in a river off Owl's Head. The parents of a different young man was also found dead in the river. They were sent a severed Owl's Head. It was left on their doorstep. Owls, the messengers of secrets, Owls have always been associated with mystery, mysticism, and a connection to the underworld and secrets. Owls are known as the messenger of secrets, the nocturnal birds of prey who have an ability to see in the dark. They can see what we can't see. They are silent watchers and wait quietly in the night to strike. To the ancient Celts and Egyptians, they were the guardians of death and the underworld. One of the earliest secret societies the Minerval Academy, or the Academy of Illusionism, had as its emblem an owl. According to J.E. Serlot's A Dictionary of Symbols, in the Egyptian system of hieroglyphics, the owl symbolises death, cold, night and passivity, and the realm of the dead sun which has set and is crossing the lake or sea of darkness. Henry and the other men found their final resting place to be the sea of darkness. Yet what does this have to do with a 32-year-old father of two, an emigre from Liberia, and a public service worker? Perhaps nothing at all. Perhaps mere passing illusory reference. Or perhaps another chink in the chain of evidence. On Labour Day, September the 7th, 2015, at 2.05am, Henry McCabe was dropped off from a nightclub in Minnesota by an acquaintance. The acquaintance said Henry asked him for a ride home when they were at the Pavlitsky nightclub, commonly known as POVs, on Highway 65 in Spring Lake Park, which apparently goes by the name of Club Selavi on Sunday nights, which it was that night. This acquaintance, William Pappas Kennedy, said he offered to take Henry home, but that at some point in the journey, according to him, Henry suggested he be dropped off at a gas station and said he would walk from there. Brother, just drop me to the gas station. I'm going to be fine. This whole area is my area. 
When Henry was dropped off that night, he had no money to get a cab and no keys to get in his house. His friends had taken them off him in an attempt, they said, to stop him buying any more alcohol. They told the police they'd taken Henry's car keys and wallet off him because they believed he was drunk and should not drive home or buy any more drinks. Instead of calling him a cab and escorting him home, Henry left with the acquaintance. His house keys had also been taken off him. He would not have been able to get into his house when he got home. Did his friends realise this? Henry never made it home. According to Moundsview Police Department Chief Tom Kinney, at 2.22am, a call came from Henry's cell phone to his wife, Karine McCabe, who at the time was staying with relatives in California. According to a search warrant affidavit later filed in Ramsey Court District, in this phone call to his wife, they say he is yelling, screaming and making weird grunting sounds. Those who know Henry shared the recording in the hope that whoever knows what happened will come forward. That recording, or part of it, is still on the internet, but it's very hard to listen to. It's very hard to try and decipher. As the news station reported, there are two minutes of bizarre noises, including growls, screams and moans. There's very few actual words. Karine, Henry's wife, told ABC News, I tried to picture where he was, what it might have been like, what circumstances would have made him sound like that. The police sent the audio to a local FBI office for further cleaning up and analysis. His wife said, one word he said was police. He said certain words like, they are afraid. The other word that he said at the beginning of the audio was pappas. The Minnesota Recorder reported, Karine notified Henry's family members that in the early hours of September the 7th, Henry's phone pocket dialed her and Henry was heard screaming in distress and stated that someone shot him. There is confusion in these reports, conflicting information, muddied attempts to make sense of what they heard. What has not been disputed is the sheer intensity of the haunting voicemail he left that night. He is screaming, growling, and making other bizarre, indefinable noises. The audio is still on the internet, or at least part of it, and there does not appear to be many people who have listened to it, that it has not made their blood run cold. It sounds worse than any horror movie scream. It sounds non-human. When Henry's call came through that night in the early hours, with Henry still on the line, Karine used a landline phone to contact Henry's elder brother, Timothy Borbor, on his cell phone. Due to the time of night, Henry's brother didn't pick up and he didn't check his phone until the next day. Then he saw the missed call notification and listened to the voicemail that had been left for him. And after listening to what he described as his brother crying, Barbour understood that something was very wrong. It was he who filed the missing persons report. Police then listened to the voicemail, but Henry didn't give any details about his location at the time of the call. The police had to wait on the cell phone provider to give them the call tower records of where Henry's phone had last pinged. The last two minutes of Henry's desperate call were recorded on his brother's phone. This is how they have the recording of Henry. Was it a pocket dial and Henry had no idea his wife was listening to his horrifying experience? Or was someone with Henry using his phone to make sure his wife heard it, to taunt her?
to grind her senses in an onslaught of ordeal torment. Did they want her to hear him be murdered? Fox 9 reported, Most of the message is unintelligible. It's in stark contrast to the hard-working family man that many knew him to be. The message was left on his brother's voicemail in the early morning of September the 7th, the last day that Henry was seen. Why did Henry say in the voicemail, we? His acquaintance was no longer with him. Many wondered, had his acquaintance played a role in the vanishing of Henry? However, Pappas Kennedy, in the face of angry innuendo, said, I'm willing, even if it costs me to pay for it, to take a lie detector test. He told KRE News, I have no motive. I don't want to hurt Henry or anyone. I really wish Henry would come out somewhere alive and explain the story himself. But Henry was nowhere to be seen. He had completely vanished. Kennedy said, I want to clear my name. We were not friends, more like acquaintances. I wish I'd never given him a ride. I wish I never did. When Henry was later found, police would say, this is not a criminal case and we don't have any suspects. The search warrant filed in Ramsey Court District said, Kennedy told police the other friend took McCabe's wallet in an effort to stop him buying more drinks because he was very intoxicated. Henry was never known to drink excessively, nor to take drugs. One possible theory to account for his suggested intoxication was the belief that he may have been suffering from some degree of emotional anguish. According to newspaper reports at the time of Henry's vanishing, he'd apparently sent a bad cheque for his last payment of rent, and it was alleged he'd received a poor work review. Was he scared of not being able to support his family? Did he feel like the walls were closing in on him? Alcohol can lower our inhibitions and open the floodgates of our emotions, good or bad. Was he simply in a bad way that night? People disappear all the time. A pressure cooker builds inside of them. The stress of daily demands seems unyielding. And sometimes a person feels no option but to simply leave, to get away from a situation they can't see a solution to, and they walk off to another life, or sometimes to death. And yet if Henry was feeling depressed, it's hard to imagine why he would walk through thick, inhospitable vegetation, in darkness, toward a creek that was isolated and miles from where he'd been dropped off, and walk into it. For this is where he was later found. The crime scene photos show the location where his body was found. There is not a footpath to lead him to where he was found. It's a bleak setting of dense trees and thick brambles. Had he tried to cut through this area? But if so, it led only to the cold creek. It was not a route home. It was not an easy route to get through. And it was not a route to anywhere other than desolation. During the police investigation and search for Henry, the acquaintance Kennedy, who'd given Henry a ride from the nightclub, said he dropped Henry off at the Super America service station. It was not until much later that this acquaintance changed it to the holiday service station. It's very possible he simply got confused, and he said he did. Or perhaps he didn't know the area well enough to remember where he dropped Henry. Some have said that this could be seen as suspicious. Moundsview Police said the last call made from Henry's cell phone pinged off a tower near Silver Lake Road and Mississippi Street in New Brighton. That's about five minutes from the Super America gas station where Pappas Kennedy said he dropped off Henry that morning.
Was there some obfuscation here on Kennedy's part? Had there been consummation of drugs that night, for example, and were his friends or acquaintances trying to ensure this didn't get out? Or did Kennedy simply get muddled? And it was very late that night. But Kennedy was ruled out by the police. However, Kennedy's mistake in Henry's last known location severely delayed the searches in finding Henry because everyone had been looking in the wrong direction. In fact, the searches never did find him. A kayaker did. After Henry disappeared, Dave Singleton, for the Community Volunteers Organisation, said police have been trying to establish where he went and have tracked pings from his cell phone to Spring Lake Towers. We have in our possession the last ping where he made a phone call. Therefore, a new search communal area is being set up at the corner of Creekview Park until further notice. Mounsview police have been in that area before but found nothing. Creekview Park was a 44-minute walk from the gas station and near a number of wooded areas and bodies of water. Authorities and volunteers spent weeks organising searches to try to find Henry. Reporter Isa Mansere said, The search for Henry continues unabated. On October the 3rd, almost four weeks after he went missing, many volunteers, including family, spent hours knocking on doors and distributing flyers in hopes of finding McCabe. Yet he remained nowhere to be found. More than a month after Henry's unexplained disappearance, the search was still ongoing. On October the 15th, it was reported, another county sheriff dive team searched a couple of bodies of water around Henry's last known tracks. His wife said Thursday, the lack of any real concrete answers is nothing short of frustrating. Henry's wife of 11 years had searched high and low over the past five weeks for her missing husband. It would appear that Henry vanished without trace. Minnesota Policing Services supervised and directed search and rescue efforts for three months. Said one volunteer searcher, Magdalena Mayongar, a grown man just disappears for weeks and there's no place to be found. He's just vanished. This is scary. Then, on November the 2nd, 2015, 55 days after he vanished, CBS Minnesota reported, body found by kayaker. Authorities say a kayaker found Henry's body at 4.20pm. At 7.20pm, the Minnesota Policing Services were dispatched to the location to observe the recovery of Henry's body. Henry was found partially submerged in Rush Lake. Said spokesman Dave Singleton, I was dispatched to Rush Lake to observe the recovery of a body that had been there for some time. Ramsey County Medical Examiner's Office said the 33-year-old's death does not appear to be suspicious. Police Chief Kinney said, but the case remains undetermined. Minnesota Pioneer Press reported, McCabe's older brother, Timothy Bauble, said he's unsure what to think. New Brighton Police conducted a ground search near where the body was found and also searched Rush Lake via boat, but found nothing that could be considered evidence. Local pastor Marie Varr said Henry was not an isolated person in the middle of the dark, and yet that is where he found himself, if he was alone. At his memorial, mourners were led to the site on Rush Lake where his body was reportedly dumped, said the local newspaper. Many placed flowers there and discussed the distance from where he was last seen to where he was found in the lake, 55 days after his disappearance. 
At his vigil, many asked how McCabe would have walked from a gas station in Frinley to be found dead in the waters of Rush Lake in New Brighton, said Dave Singleton of the Minnesota Community Policing. It doesn't appear that he would come here on his own. We believe he was not brought here of his own free will. It appears someone brought him to this location. Individuals probably would have been aware of this location or tracked it some type of way. It's not a location you can get to easily, just off the main street. Honourable Jackson George, Liberia's acting consul general in Minnesota said, We have a tradition. No grown person will walk into that place to kill himself. From the embassy's point of view, he said, We're not going to close this case until justice is done. Why did he have to die like this? Karine, his wife, said. He just cares about people, caring for those that are oppressed and in need. Material things were nothing to him, she said. I want justice for my husband. He didn't deserve to die. There is a God, and he knows what happened, and he hates an injustice. Whoever did this, God will deal with you, she said. No signs of trauma or foul play were found during McCabe's autopsy. It was determined that Henry had died from freshwater drowning. How his body ended up in the lake, about seven miles from where he was dropped off, troubled many in the community. What happened to my son? asked his mother. David Kessel, a long-time friend of Henry's, said, For somebody to die like that, it is shameful. Somebody's got to pay for it. It's a scare in our community. I can't believe it. I don't think I can sleep at night. The spokesman recorded a newspaper reported, As the family and community prepare to lay Henry to rest, questions linger as to how he really died and why no trace of a crime can be found. A friend and co-worker of Henry's, Isaac Witherspoon, said, For me... This issue is a little psychological on all of us. Many believe he didn't go to Rush Lake of his own accord. What was happening to Henry that night that made him scream and growl and cry out as though he was in the most visceral pain? Well, despite the FBI being involved from the beginning, after their attempt to clean up and analyse the phone call recording of Henry growling and screaming, the local newspaper recorder reported, Police chiefs said the manner of death could have been homicide or suicide, that they currently don't have an answer, and that they accept the medical examiner's autopsy report. The autopsy has said that Henry died from freshwater drowning. New Brighton Police Chief Bob Jacobson said, We may not be able to tell you everything. This didn't seem to be because they were deliberately holding back information. It really seemed like they just didn't know what had happened. This is a unique case and remains an investigation as to what might have happened to Henry, said the Mountsview Police Chief Kinney. In December 2015, three months after Henry disappeared, journalist Isa Mansare reported, Since Henry died, his family and community questioned the autopsy report, stating that he died by drowning in fresh waters. When Henry's body was found, many weeks after he disappeared, he was miles from where he'd last been known to be. And although his wife believed she heard him say he'd been shot, there were no gunshot wounds on his body. There were no wounds at all. What else feels like a gunshot, delivered, at close range, or at a distance? His wife said, He was walking and his cell phone called me and he made a noise as if he was hurt, and his cell phone went off. His wife thinks it sounded like he was walking at the time, or at least she believed it sounded like he was. So at this point... When he was making those God-forsaken screams, she says she believed he was not in or at the water. 
So where was he? What was being done to him, and how did he end up later drowned in the water? Did whoever was with him attack him, and then take him to the creek? And yet, whatever it was that was being done to him, to cause him such unbearable agony, to make him scream so extremely, left no marks. There was an almost mechanical noise alongside Henry's screams and growls. It was incredibly eerie. Some said it sounded positively unnatural and not of this world. Was Henry alone there or not? Who was the voice that said, so calmly and coldly, stop it? Could it have been Henry's own voice? And yet his wife doesn't think so. Was this other man telling Henry to stop it or telling an accomplice to stop it? Henry had no wounds, no injuries, no trauma. Why was he screaming and growling in apparent prolonged agony and yet leave no marks? Was a taser being used on him perhaps? Or was he being submerged in the water? And yet we hear no splashes, nor coughing or struggles to breathe. All we hear is the most horrifying screams of agony. Accompanying this noise is also what sounds like a mechanical noise of some sort, or perhaps most simplistically, was it Henry's lips vibrating together? Yet it was so loud. Could it have been a taser? Do tasers leave marks? ABC News Health reported on the effect on the human body when tasered. The report said, on skin, the most common effects are superficial burns or small puncture wounds caused by the metal probes that deliver the current not being immediately pulled off after a person has been tased. Scrapes are often seen across the skin surface because the person shocked by the taser may convulse uncontrollably. A study in the Journal of Forensic Science, Volume 48-3-2003, investigated the effect of a stun gun on the human body. It said cutaneous current marks due to a stun gun injury were examined on a 61-year-old man who died after having been tortured with a stun gun during a robbery. At autopsy, two reddish dot-like lesions were found on the chest and histological examination revealed electric current-related changes. So it would seem that a taser applied to a person's body will usually leave marks. On the other hand, the independent newspaper writes of the issue that can manifest even with proper training. That problem is torture. By design, these weapons leave few or no marks. Those who oversee the police have a difficult time determining if they were used properly or improperly. In essence, the weapons can evade detection. This gives police power that is easily abused. So here we have conflicting opinion then. Torture by means of a taser can either leave marks or sinisterly not leave any. Of course, that's not to suggest a law enforcement officer attacked Henry if a taser was even used on him. Very interestingly though, when I was watching a video of police officers being tasered as part of their training, it has to be said that the sounds one policeman makes as the taser makes contact with his skin sounds remarkably similar and just as blood-curdling as Henry's screams did that night. And just as non-human, like they were coming from a monster of our worst imaginations. If hearing it without visual context. Yet the majority of medical and journalist reports do say tasers will leave marks or some kind of trauma on the skin. And Henry had no marks at all.
If a taser was not the cause, was something else causing this sound? But what? Very strangely, a fellow esoteric researcher friend of mine sent me a recording that he'd made one night in his garage. He sent it to me after we'd been discussing the Henry McCabe case, just after it had been reported in the news. What this researcher had captured on a recording device one night was as a direct result of his attempts to communicate with other realms. It was a little like the technique for capturing EVPs, electronic voice phenomena, spirit voices, voices of the dead, captured on electronic devices. This researcher's father had been an avid experimenter in trying to capture instrumental transcommunication through radio and television sets after a series of unexplained incidents with an unsettling supernatural figure he called the Harlequin who had begun to stalk him. Then his son too and this had led to his father's quest for capturing its origins via electronic means. Well, my researcher friend, as eccentric as all of this may sound, like his father, was attempting to invite communication with worlds beyond ours and the entities that may reside within them, whether they be good or bad. Well, when I opened the file of the recording that he'd sent me and began to play it, my blood ran cold. It was the most hideous, terrifying, mechanical noise that sounded like nothing I'd ever heard. That is, apart from the voicemail of Henry McCabe and the bizarre, awful, horrifying noises on it. Were we really dealing with something that was not of this world? But surely, that just can't be. We could add that Henry disappeared on September the 7th, and that's a date which, according to the Satanic Ritual Abuse Calendar, which you can find on many websites, whether we believe in this or not, but that date is a day that's called Marriage to the Beast Satan. But Henry's experience was not supernatural, surely. Although some even think that Henry was attacked by the elusive and ephemeral monster Bigfoot, and that those noises were not coming from Henry, but from this monster. And yet, as we have already said, there were no wounds, no marks, no trauma, no blood involved in Henry's unexplained death. Online theories about Henry's death range from it was Bigfoot to it was the aliens, with a definite abduction scenario going on, as one pundit put it. The sounds I heard gave me a picture of an alien making a noise. It doesn't sound human, they said. Perhaps that's why some think that Henry was in a preternatural battle at the creek that night. Yet Henry drowned, according to the autopsy report, and Henry's death must, as a result, have been far more mundane than a fairy tale fantasy of monstrous creatures or devilish entities from another realm. Or was it? Henry had no wounds despite his screams and apparent agony, and yet he drowned. That was his physical injury. But we hear no sound of water on his voicemail recording, no splashes and no thrashes in the creek, and it was coming from a man who sounded like he was in the worst pain imaginable. What is this dichotomy of an invisible means for inflicting pain? Was he being tortured by pressure points? That would mean a well-trained, highly skilled torturer, like an assassin trained in the art of inflicting pain through, for example, pressing deeply in the kidneys or liver with locked fingers, leaving no external marks. Yet Henry was just a simple family man, wasn't he? A tax auditor with no known enemies and a lifestyle that did not beget foes. 
He was known as an advocate for the oppressed and passionate about human rights, and yet he was only known for this in his immediate family and friends and local community. His wife Corrine said, Henry likes intelligent discussions. His Facebook tribute page, formerly called Find Henry, says, One of Henry's favourite things to do was listen to intelligent square debates. Newspaper reports from his memorial service noted he was easygoing, liked politics and had an open, intellectual mind for understanding local and international issues. He asked, what is justice and how can it be achieved? Pioneer Press said his cousin Sarah Kafka referred to his writings on Facebook where McCabe tried to address the question of justice and how it can be achieved. Henry was not known nationally or globally for his advocacy for minority voices. And certainly, he did not seem outspoken enough to attract a hit to be put out on him. A visiting hitman from Liberia, Africa, sent to take him out for some unknown reason. Yet surely that's far too dramatic. As an auditor, maybe he found something he shouldn't have. He was not a senior figure in auditing. There was nothing in his daily work activities that would have drawn enemies to him. He was not known to have enemies at work either. No jealous rivals or competitors, at least as far as the police know. And remarks made by his boss and co-workers show no evidence of anything like that at all. He was a well-liked colleague. On his Facebook tribute page it says, He was generous to a fault and treated everyone he met as though he'd known them forever. At work, he would offer his lunch to others. His family said, He used to say, You can't stop the shining. He shone too bright and much too short, they said. His wife said, if only Henry could see the number of people that came out to look for him, he would be overwhelmed. Minnesota's spokesman recorder said, Deputy Commissioner of Minnesota Revenue Department, Ryan Church, said McCabe touched many staff members. He said it's really striking the impact Henry had. If you're greeted by Henry in the morning, you're greeted by an unforgettable smile. People just like to hang out with Henry. It was Henry's magnetism, and he really cares about people. Was Henry alone making the strange and disturbing noises? Like the noise a person makes when they're freezing cold and they make that sound with their lips as they shudder and shiver. Just the sort of noise you would make in freezing water on a late autumn day. Or was he going into shock? Had he fallen into the water in the dark while attempting to walk home, having become hopelessly off course? Did he stumble into the creek unknowingly, sink into the water, and find himself unable to get back out to land. Was he going into cold water shock? According to the State Department of Natural Resources, water robs body heat 25 times faster than cold air, and muscle cramps can set in within seconds. Lisa Dugan, DNR's Boat and Safety Outreach Coordinator, says, Falling in cold water can bring muscle cramping and incapacitate people in seconds. Is this why his voice and words were so strange? so disjointed, so interspersed with guttural sounds? Was the cold water affecting his motor skills, especially combined with the amount of alcohol his friends say he'd consumed? Did mental reasoning and speech become muddled, unclear, and this was why he left a riddled, garbled message? Could he have jumped voluntarily into the water and instantly regretted it? But that's simply ridiculous. Besides which, why walk miles to find water to jump into? Yet even if so, where were the sounds of frantic splashing that should have accompanied this? Where were the splashing sounds in the phone call? There were none. 
Had he taken drugs, perhaps? Or been given drugs unwittingly? Could this be why he was behaving so strangely? Could it even have been Henry's own voice telling him to stop it? Was he trying to get a grip on himself, trying to pull himself together and get himself out of there? Did he think the trees were attacking him, the thick branches that he must have had to wade his way through in the pitch dark that night? Did fear of the dark germinate in him, the idea of creatures and monsters lurking where there were none? Did his fear drive him into the water in an effort to elude these monsters, who were really just branches of trees? Did it start with a tap on the shoulder from the end of a branch, a scratch on the arm from a twig, and combined with his alleged heavy intoxication in the pitch dark, he got spooked? Did his imagination take over his mind and send him into panic and hysteria? Did the snap of a twig underfoot turn this natural woodland sound into someone or something following him, stalking him all alone in the dark woods? And he began to panic and to run, and the only safe sanctuary in his terrified mind became the water. Or did he blindly run through the woods and stumble into the creek? Yet we know he had no scratches from branches, no cuts on his arms or legs, no marks on his body. He had no trauma. When he said words that sounded like, been shot, perhaps someone was shooting at him, could he hear the bullets hit the trees, barely just missing him as he ran? Was he hiding when he phoned his wife? Was it the terror of his situation that made him cry out and scream in horror? Did he know it was inevitable that he was to die that night? That no matter what he did, he would not get out alive? Yet his moans and screams are so gut-wrenching, so visceral, that surely only the most intense physical pain could cause that reaction. Is there something so obvious that we're just not seeing? Or was he taken? Was he killed by something that we can't define? 